Welcome to the Backyard Buddhist Podcast, where we continually seek everyday enlightenment for the benefit of ourselves and all other beings. I'm Ron Powell McLean, and I'm here with my good buddy and pathmate, Danny Hobart. Today, we're breaking down the wisdom path of awakening. Hey, Dan, what's shaking? How you doing, Powell? I am. Um, I have decided that. I cause my own problems. That's that's where I'm at in the right here and right now. I have I have experienced it. I have now accepted it and am aware of it. No blame game for you, huh? You know, it uh, it's perfectly good if you need to ignore something for a bit. Blame it on the rain, right? I also love Millie Vanilli. Uh, being a child, a teenager of the 80s. Uh, yes, the blame game, not really conducive to enlightenment. No. Yeah. No. Not so much. No, not so much. So there's all you? this, you know, all this crazy stuff going on. You know, I've, I thought it was a lot to deal with pandemic and even, you know, my anxiety issues in that space. And then all of this stuff started happening. All of this, you know, all of the rioting and it's heartbreaking. I'm heartbroken over it. I am having, you know, a lot of emotional reaction in watching and I have been watching. I, I tend to kind of watch, I think we talked about this in the last podcast. I, I tend to watch, you know, 30 minutes of news in the morning and 30 minutes in the evening. And I've been glued. I've been glued because I'm concerned and I I want there to be some resolution and I want people to be heard. So in sun on Sunday's service our Kansas City Buddhist service. I we always end our meditation period with Lama Suryadas's new millennium prayer. And in it he says, May all beings everywhere with whom we are inseparably interconnected and who want and need the same as we do. May all be awakened, liberated, healed, fulfilled, and free. May there be peace in this world and throughout all realms of existence, an end to war, violence, poverty, injustice, and oppression. And may we all together complete the spiritual journey. And this is an important prayer in my practice. It often brings me to an emotional place, brings me to tears, depending on what's going on, because I really do want everyone to be free from that suffering and that injustice. But it's hard sometimes, tough, to think about someone who is acting out unskillfully as wanting and needing the same as we do. And here's the problem, we're both uh, white. The, the inherent problem with even being able to understand what black or African-American people feel 
I almost feel like we're so far gone, you know, with the inherent bias, the inherent racism, the inherent discrimination that we can't even on our best day, it would be impossible to understand stand what they must feel like right now. And, and, and not just right now, of course, that even that in itself is short-sighted. We're talking ever since, since they've been in America, right? Like stolen, forced. I, it's hard to go down the rabbit hole. It's disgusting how folks are treated differently. Again, the words aren't even strong enough. My vocabulary is not big enough to do any of it justice. I, I watched, I watched a really, you know, Dwayne Johnson did a, a video uh, about this, a short, fairly short one, and he said, you know, of course all lives matter, uh, but here's the deal: right now, Black lives matter, and it's okay to say that because they're in Even danger. That, because they're in danger, yes, and that's why it yes. matters. Yes, absolutely. And it is heartbreaking. First of all, all the people that, you know, celebrate the South and the heritage and its history. Uh, the Virginia mayor just announced that, you know, he's taken down a bunch of Confederate statues. And th- this, what, what are we doing with the Confederate statue up in 2020 anywhere? What in the world... People want to say it doesn't exist and this this is not real and, oh, I'm not racist. I have one, you know, minority friend. Guess what, folks? We, we, we have yeah, all... doesn't count. We have been born and bred to treat minorities, Blacks, African Americans, Asians, every person from whatever place they originated, except for us, except for Europe, uh, as as lesser, they're planning a march for August. Uh, Al Sharpton, I just saw it yesterday. It's on the anniversary of MLK's speech. I am so hopeful, so hopeful this will be some real change. Uh, I'm scared, I'm not scared like people that are more in danger than me. But you know, I'm I not, I'm scared that this will continue, that it won't be changed. I'm scared that it's going to take something more violent or something more destructive, you know? I, I, I wish I, I knew what it would take because, you know, I was born in April of 1968. Wow. April 9th, 1968. So I was born right after Martin Luther King was assassinated and I was born in the middle of rioting in Kansas City. It rocks me to think about that I'm 52 years old. And 52 years later, we're still having the same fight for basic rights. And, you know, I'm you know, I'm a proud and open gay man, and I, I know what it's like to, to exist outside of that straight, white, cis norm. But I have the advantage that when I need to, I can subdue it. 
I can at least put up a wall and act as if I'm part of the crowd to make certain that I am as safe as I can be. I could not be, if I'm anxious about something or hopeful about something or have an expectation for something, which we both know are massive obstacles on our paths if, once we commit to those. Uh, but if it's something, it's it would be that you don't ever have to say straight or white or cis or gay or just people uh, or male just or humans. Correct. We we, we it, it's terrible that it has to be Black Lives Matter because it's people matter. Period. I, it doesn't. None of it. None of these identifying characteristics have any meaning have any place being in any of our patterns of speech, except it's required right now to, you know, sim symbolize or signify oppression, you know, violence and danger. I, I genuinely long for a day that we don't just need labels anymore. And it's just like literally just people. Right. That would be, a, uh, you know, <laughs> it's a big that's a big thing. It's yeah. a big thing. Well, I mean, you think about all the, you know, let's, you know, let's call it, you know, fringe groups just to, you know, throw us all together, you know, and that could be, you know, a sexuality that's not straight, that can be any color that's not white, that seems like that is the defining line. And I, this is where I'm ignorant. I don't know if there is racism between say uh latino and and black i don't know that or latino and asian i i don't know that i've not seen that it doesn't seem like it's a you know a prevalent or prominent topic you know on on the news so i'm underexposed in that but it feels to me like it's white against everything else and not all whites because you know it's not you it's not i and not quite frankly, not anybody that I hold dear. I mean, I know some folks. <laughs> I'm, we, you know, I'm definitely from uh, the hillbilly tribe. <laughs> yeah, we grew so, up in the same town. Yeah. Yes, I know, in, the, in, a, in a state that was a northern state only by compromise and purely and absolutely confederate at heart. And, you know, you left out a group too. It's also white men against women, generally. Oh, um, you're totally right. They, they, it is white men versus all. And, uh, oh boy. Well, that's a lot of just ingrained fear from one group that feels like they're what going to lose power by including everyone. It just, it seems so completely yeah. absurd to me. Yeah, but with power, see, you know, we all know, we see it. You get you get things like um, jets, private jets and yachts and secret meetings with sheikhs and the Middle East and, and you know, powerful status in Japan and uh, allies in wars and, you know, titan. You get to be a titan of industry and invited to speak at places. And, you know, I to those people for whatever reason they're they're uh, for many many reasons they're dominating 
they're winning, they're oppressing, they're controlling. All the negative, really what we would consider negative effects, you know, it's a total positive to them. Right. Like, like this isn't just a failure to realize something. This is intentional action, especially from leadership. You know, that's my, that's part of my question, Dan, is that I, I don't know for sure if this is simply ignorance or it is completely intentional. Like, is there an active intentional thought and you're a lawyer, you know, like there's, there's a lot to be said with intent. If you just didn't know better and it's just, you're responding to, you know, conditions and your upbringing and training. I had the advantage of growing up a military child. My dad was in the air force and we lived on base with every ethnicity, with people from all around the world. I grew up in like this, you know, to me, it was like the, you know, the rainbow, you know, I I had everything around me. So I didn't grow up feeling there, like there was any difference between me and any other kid. But there was one point that we actually moved back to Kansas city. My dad had a um, remote tour in Iceland for a year. So we came to live with my grandmother in Kansas city and I went to the Kansas city public schools and for in my seventh grade year. And there was a lot of N word thrown around. And I don't think I really understood what was going on. There were no black kids at my school. There were no Asian kids at my school. I don't recall any Latino kids. I remember it being a lot of white kids. And I was absolutely miserable in that school, but you know, part of that was seventh grade and puberty and (laughs) a lot of, a lot of other things, you know, kind of popping up, but it just seemed so absurd to me and to hear even some of my relatives and the slurs that would come out in a joking fashion at a barbecue or walking around the zoo or something. I, you know, there's some very sharp memories of that happening and me feeling really, really uncomfortable. And the next year we moved to, to Omaha and, you know, back to a military community and things were normal again. And I was with everybody again, and that felt normal. But when I left that community and moved, moved to Kansas city in the early nineties, um, I felt it a lot. I felt it a lot. And, you know, it was even prominent in, you know, I was, going out to bars and things then and you know in the gay community which was very tight um, felt like high school everybody knew everybody else but a lot of a lot of racial slurs and you know always putting put in the the context of being jokey 
Like if it's funny, then it's palatable. And that always felt kind of awful too. There is no question for me that it's intentional. You know, that breaks Robert, my heart. That absolutely breaks my heart. Yeah, but sure. But it's real. And this this romantic idea of the South and states' rights and individual rights, it's complete absurdity. It is complete and absolute nonsense. We enslaved people of a different color because we figured out a way to profit off of it. Of course. And it, it was white men. Some were born in America. Some were not. And as we know, none of them were ultimately born here. They were, every one of us was from Europe or some other place uh, that, that's white, but mostly Europe, England. There's a romanticism. I, I have a history degree. It's really easy to romanticize the Civil War. Uh, that sounds silly because it was so violent and so bloody and is all the biggest battles that have ever happened in America. In fact, it's the only. Well, I think it's the, the, the one um, war that has the most deaths. What? 650,000 or 630,000 maybe deaths. It's Mm -hmm. huge compared to other wars. How does that happen in 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 your own country see we're still fighting the bat we're still fighting the war right because for whatever reason the south was allowed confederate believers and everybody they were allowed to retain their identity as slave owners now at the time these statues the statues that are in these cities the the confederate monuments and the flags that are flown at state buildings most of that happened long after when the folks like grant and leadership politicians were gone most of that happened later it was lingering resentment it was uh, racism it is frustration that they took grandpa's property every wrong reason but at the top of it is racism. You know, uh, Robert E. Lee, who is revered among white supremacists and racist people, period, he is revered. In fact, it was Washington University that became Washington and Lee University because that's what he did when he retired, uh, uh, retired when the South was pummeled and he had no more army. He became the leader of a college you know, he wrote a lot. He wrote a lot. He wrote letters, essays, and he admits in any number of ways as to why black people need to be enslaved, period. It's the right, kind, compassionate thing to do for them. He believes that. That's disgusting. He believed, and it, so he believed th- it was granted by God himself that they were intended to be slaves of the white man. See, that sounds like ignorance, though. Like that sounds like absolute ignorance. I see what you're saying. And in a sense, it is ignorant of some absolute reality of some, the subjective reality. Uh, To me, it's absolutely not. It's justification for intentional behavior. Based on ignorance. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. So I, I get it. Like I, that totally, that totally makes sense to me. Now you're, you're making intentional action based on ignorant perception. Yeah, sure. It's, um, it's fascinating because there's a whole scholarly line defending Robert E. Lee. He's their shining example of why the Civil War was not racist and why, you know, why they were right for reasons other than, ra than race. And they hold him up like he was loyal to his state. That's what I learned in grade school when we did uh, Missouri history, which includes some Civil War stuff. He, he was just loyal to his state. He didn't have a choice but to fight for Virginia because that's where he was from. He was against oppression, so standing up for his fellow man from being oppressed. All of it is a complete distraction. All of it is absurd. It is flat out disgusting and unacceptable that any monument exists. Every school child, as early as possible, should be taught about slavery. They should be taught that it was pure evil, that it was committed by evil, ignorant, intentional acts, and that everyone that participated in it is a traitor to the ideals and morals of our country, because it is. Read the Declaration of Independence. Read the preamble to the Constitution. We are supposed to be equally just. The Civil Rights Act that was pa passed under Lyndon Johnson after MLK was killed. The additional amendments, the 14th Amendment, requires due process for all people. These are absolute rights. Absolute. They do not discriminate. But then my, my sensitive sensibility, <laughs> which is, you know, call it what it call it whatever you want to call it but you know that sensitive sensibility when i read surya's prayer that says may all beings everywhere with whom we are inseparably interconnected and who want and need the same as we do i know that i believe that we all act out of multiple things and one very prominent response that we have is to fear. So there's some sort of fear that is at the root of unskillful behavior. When men, women, whomever are standing up for and trying to validate injustice, oppression, that there is an innate fear that is striking a chord in those people causing them to act with unskillful behavior. Well, so my compassion, that's, I guess that's where, what I really want to talk about is, you know, that the idea of my own compassion in trying to make sense of and understand and put into an actionable and wise response on my part. You know, we've talked about this before that things like um, agitation equals frustration, frustration equals anger, anger equals rage, rage leads to violence. 
So these all these are all interconnected. And when one isn't heard, then it increases. And it, when that's not heard, then it increases. And then when that's not heard, that's increase that increases. So then when you have rage, our response, because we're interconnected, if you come at me with rage, the first thing my body wants to do is meet you in that rage. I want to conflict and defend. That's not wise. When we're putting a bit of awareness in between the stimulus and response. So now when I met with rage, I met with violence, I can see it as violence. Someone else's reaction that is peaking and reflecting at me, violence. To me, the worst thing that I can do is meet violence with violence. To meet anger with anger, rage with rage, rather than meeting violence with compassion and understanding. So we have the Eightfold Path that is, you know, a prominent feature in our practice. So it's, it's broken up into three pieces. First is wisdom training. So prajna, that is the right, wise, complete, and true view and understanding. That's the very first one. Second is intention. Those are the two wisdom trainings. And then we turn to sila, which is ethical conduct training, speech, action, livelihood. Then samadhi, or meditative concentration training, which is your effort, mindfulness, and concentration. In putting these things into action, we must first see what's going on. The very first one is wise, right, complete, true, right understanding of what's actually happening. I see and am compassionate that someone else has had an agitation that led to a frustration, that led to an anger, that led to a rage, that led to a violence. And I can now see that and I can act with compassion and wisdom and meet it with something that might help and might help to soothe it. When I can listen instead of scream, that's to me where the rubber meets the road. In a very practical sense, this could easily be taken out of context to say that I'm sticking up for police. I'm not. Think of this. Take the race out of it. If you can, if you can put it in a vacuum and put it in your mind, think about this. You go to work, you're handed extra crowd control military gear. Normally, you just go to work, you put on your uniform, you have a gun, you have uh, typically mace or sometimes a taser, non-lethal control, non-lethal force, they call it. You have handcuffs, you have a belt, you have like a Batman utility belt. You go to work, you drive around in your car, you respond to calls, you check out suspicious things, you write speeding tickets. Your job is to make uh, the city safer, right. to help, help people, and it's dangerous. And you do have to be on alert. In many, many places, people don't have shootings and don't pull their guns and don't. Some places are easier than others, but the goal, you know, is, is to 
be a, a positive for the community. So you'd show up to work one day and all of a sudden they're like, well, here's your, here's your, um, extra here's your, body armor. Here's your riot gear. Here's your, um, full body shield. Here's your face shield. Here's your, uh, tear gas gun. Uh, here are your rubber bullets. And by the way, uh, we're getting everybody's going out tonight at eight o'clock to enforce a curfew. And there's going to be 50 of us. And right now there are 4,000 protesters. Good luck. Good luck. And you know what, you know what the training is that police officers receive? There is exactly one priority that takes complete dominance over all other training. Number one on the list, officer safety. Yeah. Because guess what? If you can't be safe, you can't do your job. And they all know that. And outnumbered has to be frightening. I can think about it. I mean, it's on both it sides. Be... I mean, it was, I'm sure. Oh. That it was frightening to be outnumbered by police. And Are you kidding? Having about... four people sit on you. Like, I... I can't even imagine. It's not lost on me that every cop is not a racist and every cop is not shitty. I understand that. And I understand that also every other person is not completely free from agitation and frustration and anger and rage. And, you know, we're talking about human beings on both sides. It's not an entire class of demons either way, but there is no. unskillful behavior on every side. A cop who's never done anything but be compassionate is unskillful. And I understand the rage. I understand the anger. But generalizing is unskillful. All of it is tragic that it, that it is happening. Our society, our culture is such, this is the way that things change. Unfortunately, they... They don't change for good. This is, this is not the first riot in America. This is not the first peaceful no. protest in America. This is not the first in-between of right. violence and peace. This no. is not the first time that police have armed themselves like a military in mass enforced, you know, emergency rules. This has been happening, well, since we've been a country, more or less. But there's also never been a real solution. There may Correct. have been steps right. toward a solution, but they're abandoned along the way or manipulated along the way, and then it gets bad again. I'm so hopeful. You like to feel like you're progressing as a people. And to hear all the celebrities, to see all the protesting, Portland, Oregon, they laid face down on a bridge and shut the whole thing down. And I saw it was that. powerful. Powerful. And there that's a town with not a lot of minorities, by the way. Yeah. Uh, the and before anybody hears this and thinks that I'm praising white people that I'm not, uh, I'm I'm pointing out a fact that that people in America did something beautiful. The uh, police chief in uh, Flint, Michigan, that early early into this, a couple of days into the protests, 
uh, got out there with his officers and took their right gear off and said, let's have a parade instead of a protest and we're going to go with you, man, how much different would that be? Yeah. I mean, how much, you know, let's and, come together with understanding and come yeah. together with, you know, listening instead of screaming and accusing and the hate, 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 hate. Like it just, it literally, I keep getting teary. It breaks my heart. It absolutely breaks my heart to see that, that unnecessary action happening when so, so many people are just crying to be safe. This and mothers, not- uh, you know, the mothers that have, you know, young black sons and see their fear. It, it rocks me. It absolutely rocks me because it, it seems unsafe. It sounds unsafe and unskillful and ignorant and unnecessary. It's all of those things combined. Nothing, nothing is going to change until the white men and women, but predominantly white men in power are forced to change. They're not doing it on their own. The ones that you see being compassionate uh, started, they're already like that. This, this is, this Leaders, is, leadership is a whole other story too. I mean, my jaw just hangs open at some of the really crappy response from leadership. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's beyond uh, any, all of it, all of it, meaning the response from white people in power, law enforcement, military leadership, with some exception, like the Flint, Michigan police chief, all of it, every single bit of it is unacceptable. And it starts with George Floyd. It goes back to, was it Michael Brown and um, Florissant in St. Louis? It goes back decades and decades before that. It goes back to the Civil War. It goes back to the founding of our country. It goes. And all of the, you know, all of those that were not in the middle of the media, you know, that not everybody was a Rodney King. All the time. So many that are just even you know call it undocumented you know they're just it just fell under the fell under the guise of didn't happen i loved the there's a a lawyer for george floyd's family and of course they had a memorial the other day uh with his family and his brother spoke and said you know i don't want George Floyd's brother said, I don't want my brother to be just another t-shirt. Yeah. If there's people that it's hard to be compassionate for or to be able to understand and be aware of the fear they're acting out of, it's, it's hard to see them on whatever their path is. It's white people, it's law enforcement, it's uh, leadership, especially national leadership. Um, that's a whole different you know, story because that's not ignorance. It's it's almost so far gone that you don't even feel like it's okay, even as a Buddhist, to say, 
be compassionate. Like that's how far to me, this is stretching the bounds seriously. Um, you know, I, I use, I, I use the filter and you've heard me say it, you know, a million times, you know, that's, that's a human person having a human reaction to a human experience. And I also sometimes look at people and say, that's an asshole having an asshole response to a human experience. And that's unfortunate. Yeah. It's unfortunate because that's, you know, that's not compassion. That's irritation. That's judgment. And that's not the medicine. The no. medicine, you know, the, the medicine to this is awareness and action, compassionate action that comes from awareness. So when I can see that, that human that's acting like an asshole as a human acting like an asshole that I can, I don't have to know the reason why I don't have to know if, you know, his mommy was nasty to him or unskillful to him or something happened or if maybe there's some mental instability that is helping to, you know, cause that reaction. I don't have to know that. I just have to know that that is a human having an unskillful response to a human experience. You know, I would imagine as hard a time as it is for you, uh, a significantly experienced practitioner of Buddhism and me, uh, a novice-ish, maybe perhaps a bit past that, practitioner Buddhism it's hard for us to consider compassion for the oppressors it's hard and it's important it's important to continue to face that discomfort like that's our own discomfort well and it seems like it seems like the victims which really are all of us that care but especially and 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 by a million fold black folks, people, you know, they deserve, it feels like they deserve all the compassion. It feels like they are worthy of every ounce of action and effort and mindfulness. It does not feel that way on the other side. It feels like the other side, this is so significant and so big that it feels like they just shouldn't matter. I feel like it's so broken. Personally, I feel like it's so broken on both sides that it's, you know, it, it's going to take compassion. It's going to take understanding and listening to, yeah. to get to that point that there is resolution because these are ingrained fears you know, I can't imagine what it is like to fear. I read an, I read an article or posting by a black man the other day that said he's never been out for a walk in his neighborhood without his little dog and his daughter. Because with his little dog and his daughter, he's just a dad out for a walk. And if he's out by himself, then he's a predator. 
And I can't imagine what that feels like. No, you can't. And you never will be able to, hopefully. I mean, you wouldn't wish that on your very worst, most terrible enemy. And yet it's a prevalent part of so many people's lives. I mean, I've, you know, I've certainly, you know, I said earlier, I'm a proud gay man, but I, I have also, and still do to a point, I, I will avoid going to areas of town where um, I don't feel safe. And I'm talking about, I'm not talking about black neighborhoods. <laughs> I'm talking about white neighborhoods where, you know, there are, you know, I, I don't even know what to, the term to use. But racist. They're racist. Racist, but racist, redneck, like homophobe, yep. whatever, that I don't feel safe. And I just think, you know, there's, there's so much of it. And, and I think at the head of it is the African-American community, but not far behind is the Latino community, is the Asian community, LGBTQIA community. They've been Anything, putting, the, you know, putting, women yeah. of all races, like, there's, been, it's, it's not yeah. far behind. It's the same fear. It's the same, it's the same injustice and oppression that this, you know, hopefully this starts to crack, crack the shell a bit. They've been, how long have they been putting children in cages at the border? And let me tell you that, that in itself, of course, is, is completely inhumane and, and horrendous. But a, a part of that is that they're separating families. Yeah. You know, you know who else did that famously? Mm -hmm. Robert E. Lee. Oh. He intentionally separated families. This was a known tactic that slave owners would use to break the spirit and the will of slaves. This is a known tactic and if you think that the 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 leadership with the border patrol and ice and everybody else that's involved in that doesn't know that and haven't been instructed to do that you're you're fooling yourself this this these are these are age-old tactics uh of uh torture and intimidation it just yeah. rocks me that in the year 2020 with everything else going on that there's still so much unskillful behavior. Here we are with the spark, several of them this year, but sparks. Apparently we needed it. This, you know, this is an effect of some action, right? Right. Right. That's what karma is. An action happens and an effect happens. You know, I, I always try to look to the path of the Four Noble Truths, and I know we've talked about this multiple times, but it's first identifying that there's an issue. Second is to understand that there's a cause for the issue. There's a medicine for the illness that is the issue. And that medicine is 
understanding, wise understanding and compassion. So as we look into the solution, we must always know when we lean in and understand that my reaction to the anger, the violence, the rage, it's my reaction is where I can seed the start of compassion, wisdom, understanding, ethical conduct. It starts always with me. I can never look to someone else to start that. I quoted it before, but let's end today with listening to the words of Lama Suryadasa's New Millennium Prayer, where he says, may all beings everywhere with whom we are inseparably interconnected and who want and need the same as we do. May all be awakened, liberated, healed, fulfilled, and free. May there be peace in this world and throughout all realms of existence, an end to war, violence, poverty, injustice, and oppression. And may we all together complete the spiritual journey. Begin with you, always begin with you. Thanks to all our listeners for tuning in and thanks so much to my friend Dan for all you do. Paolo, thanks as always for your time. And before I sign off, I want to very clearly state Black Lives Matter. And we, at our Sangha, we are fully on board with the ideals and the movement. Well said. Folks, remember, meditate as fast as you can. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>